You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Wednesday, November the 3rd. Joining you from Del Mar, Southern California once again in the build-up to the Breeders' Cup. And with that in mind, in a few moments' time, I'll be joined by Mike Smith, the jockey who has won more Breeders' Cup races than any other person. And he will tell me why he believes he can win the Breeders' Cup Classic once again with a horse that almost nobody is talking about. Trainers Danny Gargan and Michael Bell join me to look forward to their runners at Del Mar this weekend. And later in the programme, I'll be reflecting on the jump racing from Britain yesterday, the Halton Gold Cup at Exeter, and the victory for the Tizards, another big race victory for them, with Eldorado Allen beating the much-vaunted Hitman. But first of all, news reaches me, albeit from thousands of miles away, that the deal that we spoke about as being under threat over the last couple of weeks between the ARC group of racecourses and the Horsemen, which would have seen more races added in exchange for more prize money has indeed officially died according to horsemen's group chairman charlie parker who was a big advocate of the deal those who weren't advocates of the deal you'll remember the national trainers federation and the professional jockeys association the former body citing a long-term detriment to the sport uh, lydia hislop's with me this morning lydia i can probably guess but what's your reaction to this good um, i'm glad it's dead and that's not through any um animosity towards uh, those who are in favor of it or those who are proposing it i mean in terms of arc it's really positive thing that arc have come to the racing industry and want to find ways in which to increase prize money and increase levy but this had won this deal had so many had, had so much wooliness around it there was a a lack of clarity um to the figures being proposed the, the levy board input, whether the, the the profit of the levy was net or gross, all the little nitty gritty hadn't really been, been hammered out at a time when uh, there was pressure being exerted on people to agree to the deal, which is no good. Uh, all modelling agreed that field sizes were going to suffer negatively, and I think that was a great risk for the industry in the medium to long term. Um, there was a conflation of this argument with with whether that you know you have to take this because otherwise a government will say that you're not helping yourself and you won't get le- uh, levy reform. They're two completely separate arguments. Um, there was a risk, I think, about. Uh, running uh, what what looks like an essentially behind closed doors model over the all, all weather, and we know what most midweek all weather fixtures or most all weather fixtures, apart from the banner ones, look like, and they rely almost totally on horsemen bringing the horses and not on any crowds coming through the door. And I think that's a risk of the industry. But the main point is there was no long term strategy underpinning this this deal there was it was it was it was a deal a piecemeal deal on its own and not part of a wider strategy that was sustainable and for the long-term benefit of the industry and until there is that strategy then all of these piecemeal ideas are have have are at best just a, a small part of uh, you know a small a small negative a small positive that that m- that might be good in the short term and at worst as in this case might actually have long term negative impacts for for the industry um in terms of you know, changing what it looks like so uh, you know i'm i'm 
sorry that 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 we weren't able to i'm sorry that there wasn't a strategy and that this that this deal did not fit into it this is where i feel sympathy with both arc and elements of the horseman's group that were trying to put this deal through because they have said in so many words look we're trying to do something and in the absence of anybody else taking it forward then here is a you wouldn't call it a windfall but here is a significant addition to prize money for let's make no bones about it work a day horses through the winter who we need in training to you know keep, keep the show on the road and it's been it's been blown up we don't know how much that addition was because as i said all the variables that underpin what that net figure is um we're, we're not we're not hammered out we do we do not know what they were they had not been hammered out um i think we every all sides agree that there would be a net positive to the levy how big or small that would be you know depends on all of those variables but they it brought with it long-term risk uh, over short-term with short-term gain you know is every idea that comes along that might make a small bit of money should horse racing snatch at it my argument would be no it shouldn't what what should what should be happening is that all the stakeholders should be getting together and coming up with what is the long-term sustainable strategy for the industry and this this requires the bha to play the part i mean what is going on at the bha well why, this is, a, this is an interesting I one in i was going to ask you this because um you're probably a bit closer to the organization than i am though i'm not saying you've got privileged information in this respect but i I know we always bang on about how the BHA haven't really got any power, but isn't this an area where, because of their um, regulation of the of the of the fixture list, even if they haven't got control over it, isn't isn't this an area where they do have significant influence? I would argue that yes, they should have, and they appear to be choosing not to exert it. Now, a strong governing body should work as the counterbalance to the industry's commercial parties with the long term health of the sport always at the forefront of their decision making and ambitions for British racing that are held by the horsemen and the BHA should be at the top level I think philosophically aligned they should be allies strategically and yet what I seem to see is the BHA standing aside waiting for horsemen and race courses to fight out every issue and I think the BHA should have a view they should definitely be leading here on what is objectively good for the sport you know they should be stepping in on this issue um, you know there's a current currently in a, um, a review of uh, the BHA's you know strategic role and I think that we should be advocating for a stronger bolder BHA you know Will Lamb who is the BHA executive director stepped down in August Paul Johnson who is the head of racing for the last eight years it's just been announced succeeds the retiring Rupert Arnold as the chief executive of the National Trainers Federation in January these are significant people who have recently left the BHA. And incidentally, Paul's new position is now being advertised as head of racing and betting, which is a development as it more explicitly acknowledges one of the sport's key customer groups. But if you look at the detail of the advert, no detail has been added to what that means for the role or how that's impacted on the role. So, you know, we, I expect to find out more about this um, in, it, it, as, as the um, deadline approaches, which I think is the 15th of November, it'd be interesting to see who goes, who gets that job and how that job is different from how it was before. But I mean, there is no future in, you know, in a, in a tripartite strategy, there is no future in one of those three just standing aside. That is not, that is not a long-term strategy. So from the UK to the US, from off the track, mercifully to on the track and the Breeders' Cup this weekend. And Mike Smith, the man who has won more Breeders' Cup races than anyone else and fancies his chances of a minor upset 
uh, this year. I caught up with him over breakfast yesterday, and this is what he had to say. In the beginning of the year, I started out thinking I'd have about four or five probably, you know, legit favorites uh, in horse racing. You know how that goes. Uh, we've lost, you know, a few of them uh, retired, and then some of them went from the West Coast to the East Coast, and then with the COVID stuff, weren't able to travel. So we lost quite a few, but I was very blessed to to come up with Cornichi, of course, for, for Baffert, the two-year-old that, that uh, I like a whole lot. And then, man, I, I backed into Art Collector, which is amazing. Uh, so tell me how that came about, because Art Collector is a horse that, like, almost nobody is talking about, yet has a shot in the Classic. Yeah, I mean, he's he's kind of the sleeper, you know. I, I really like him a lot. He's coming around at the last, you know, coming around right, you know, you know, heading into Breeders' Cup. He's won his last three, so he's doing really good. And you, Luis Saez rides essential quality, so he was also riding Art Collector, and and so we reached out to Billy and put our name in the hat. And I've been, you know, very blessed to have ridden for Billy for many, many years and actually won the Classic, you know, for him before. So he picked me and I was just uh, elated because I, I think he's a horse with a legit chance. I really think he could run well and he's, he's training extremely well. So, so how's it going to set up for him to run a big race? Because we're expecting it to be a bit of a war, even though it's a small field. Yeah, and in his last couple of races, he's been on the lead, but I don't think that'll be the case uh, on, on Saturday. I, you know, of course, Nick goes in there with a lot of speed, Medina Spirit with a lot of speed, uh, and neither one of them are going to let each other get away with a whole lot. So hopefully I'll be sitting in the catbird seat and just waiting to, to pounce on him at, 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 some, at some point in the race. Uh, you know, off of paper, that's the way it looks like it's going to play, but you never know. No one is going to allow Nick's go a freebie, are they? Surely. I mean, everyone will need their head right if that happens. Exactly. And, 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 hey, I mean, my horse has speed as well. If he happens to jump extremely well and they don't, well, I'm fine with being up there myself. I mean, everyone's talking about the three-year-olds and this crop of horses who've been on the, on the Triple Crown Trail and they're sort of coming to the fore, the Essential Quality and Hot Rod Charlie. Um, how good do you think that group of horses is? Oh, they're really good. They're solid. But, but I'm, I'm happy to be on an older horse that's that's doing extremely well at the right time and and there's no one better than billy ma when he gets him good and he points for a race that guy's brilliant uh so i'm happy to be part of the team a, a lot a lot is talked about the track here at del mar so it's pro- probably quite a lot of mythology about the tide and this that and the other what's what's the reality of riding del mar well the good thing about this time of year is you get a lot of moisture in the mornings so the track tends to be tighter here uh in the winter time than it is actually in the summer so I, I just went over it this morning, man. It was felt great. So it should be a pretty fair track. It should play true to form. If you go too fast too early, you're going to pay for it. But the speed will because, hold because if it's... But, you know. it, it, but if you get away with something, it, it's tough to run by them, I mean, especially with a shorter stretch. It's great to have you back at Breeders' Cup. Last year wasn't quite the same without you. No, I mean, I missed it. But happy to be back. But, you know, two, two legit chances anyway. We'll see what happens. Good luck, Mike. Thank you. Mike Smith there with high hopes of classic horse art collector and very justifiably high hopes of Corniche in the juvenile for Bob Baffert. Turning our attentions to the two-year-olds on the turf and in a moment you'll hear from Danny Gargan, the trainer of a horse called Dakota Gold who's been very impressive in two starts so far and might give the European invaders quite a bit to think about. One of those European invaders in the juvenile turf Colts race is Great Max. Great Max is one of three horses in the Breeders' Cup this year owned by Kia Jurabchin's Ammo Racing. And rather than go to his UK-based jockey, Ross Orion, he's chosen to go for US Hall of Famer John Velasquez on all three of those horses, which seems pretty significant in itself. Michael Bell trains great Max, and I asked him what he thought of his chances when I caught up with him yesterday. I have to say, he seems to have travelled very well, and he's, he's, he's taken, to the, taken to everything, you know, better than expected. Uh, and I would say he's training well. Mm. And what sort of horse do you see him as next year? Well, I, 
personally think he's a middle distance horse in the making. Uh, his dam won a mile and three. Um, it's a staying family. So uh, I think when he... Perf- my, my gut feel is that next year he'll be performing over a mile and a quarter plus. Now you've just met your jockey, John Velasquez, for the, for the first time. What did you say to each other? Uh, I said, I'm hoping having a, a bear hug after the race saying, well done. Now, he's obviously a, a man with incredible experience, knows the track well. You know, one of the sort of... I imagine he's a Hall of Fame jockey, isn't he? One of the greats. If, if one, of the, all, of one of the all-time greats. If he's, not a Hall of, if he's not a Hall of Fame jockey, he should be, and maybe he will be. Uh, this will cement it after Saturday. No, but. Yeah, no, no worries on that score. <laughs> he's, he's well and truly entrenched in the, in the, in the Hall of Fame. Uh, yeah, so obviously, you know, it's a, it's a real plus having someone like him on board. I think, you know, Keir retains Ross Ryan back in England, but he was going to struggle with the weight, and Keir had a few runners all with us, a weight that Rosser was going to struggle to do. And I think it's probably tough on Rosser, but it's a sensible call from the owners, but on the, a good call from the owner. And what are you realis- realistically expecting? If you play the race in your mind, what are you expecting to see from your horse? You know, he's, he's performed consistently to a level of about 106. Uh, so we're putting a visor on him. Uh, he's worked once in a visor at home and worked very well. So we're just hoping that visor can eke out six, seven pounds worth of improvement. If that happens, then he could be in, involved. I, you know, I wouldn't say he's going to win it, but he could definitely be involved. Good luck, Michael. Thanks, Nick. All right, good to catch up here at the breakfast marquee with Danny Gargan, trainer of Dakota Gold, who runs in the juvenile turf. Two from two, including a stake at Monmouth last time. Danny beating some pretty good horses very impressively. How, how do you feel? How confident are you? I've got a lot of confidence in him. I took him to Monmouth with the game plan of getting here. Uh, the track's kind of similar. They're almost the same layout, so I wanted to run him around two turns on kind of the same course, so that was our game plan. He had a little rough going into the first turn, but he's, he negotiated it pretty good, and I think he'll do better this time. And he showed that speed when he broke his maiden as well, so you got that little bit of everything. Yeah, he's really fast. You know, and Our plan was to rate the other day at Mammoth because there was a ton of speed. They went 20, 21 and change, 45 going a mile, which is really fast. And he laid about three lengths off of it. But when he asked him, he went on with it. Uh, so is he a sprinter that you're trying to get him to stretch his speed, or is he actually a middle-distance horse? I think he's a miler. I think that's going to be his best distance going further. He's got that first, you know, he's got a gear that when he kicks in, he takes off. I don't know if he'll go a mile and a quarter, you know, crazy distances, but I really think a mile is going to be his key. And this track here, it is sharp, it is tight. Um, it, yeah, it just takes a, a handy professional horse. Is he streetwise or not? Yeah, he is, and he's he's level-headed and right. He's easy. He's push button. He'll ta- he'll go anywhere you want. He'll go fast. He'll go slow. He's not a really ranked type. And uh, I think the turns. He's not a, like you said. He's handy. He's not a real big horse. So I think the turns will be okay for him. You know, this course is a little hard on the super big horses. So him with his size and with his tactical speed, I think we'll be laying in a good spot from the three hole. I'm hoping to sit second, third, fourth, somewhere in there, just comfortable. And we'll see who wants to be fast, and we'll follow him around there. And it's that advantage for him that will potentially put those kind of classy European horses on the back foot. Yeah, they're going to have to sit back a little bit because, I mean, a couple of them drew inside us, you know, and the European horses, obviously, they, they kick. They, we have to beat them. You know, it's hard to beat them in the juvenile turf. You have to respect every horse they bring because, you know, they've dominated it. So I think if they ever have a disadvantage, I think it's here at Del Mar because of the turns. You know, their horses are used to having a big run into the first turn. And, uh, you know, having an edge of being around two turns on a tight course, I think it plays a little bit to our favor. Uh, last time I spoke to you was when we were doing the walkover for the Kentucky Derby. Before, oh, it was a good time. Before tax ran. Yeah, and I was proud of him to come out of the Derby. You know, a lot, a lot of horses win greatest stakes after that, and he ended up winning the Jim Dandy. And we got to go to the Travers, but he's a cool horse. He's at Patty Hogan's right now getting a break. And uh, 
see if we bring him back next year or not. We're, we're talking about it. And how does it compare coming here to the Breeders' Cup with a, a horse with a very different profile, but with a pretty big chance? Yeah, I mean, they're different. I mean, Tax was a you know crowd favorite. He was Everybody knew who he was because he's such a big, beautiful horse. You know, he had a lot of fans. And this horse was kind of running under the radar because he's a little low profile, like you said, because we ran at Monmouth. And, uh, but it's, it, I think I have a better chance this year than I've ever had, and he's in a grade one here. You know, Tax, he, this horse has a little more desire. Well, we haven't forgotten you. Yeah. And uh, hopefully, hopefully we won't be forgetting about him. Um, good luck. Thank you so much. Cheers, Danny. So that's news from uh, here in Southern California. Lydia, uh, the, the dilemma for Aidan O'Brien, it seems, is to whether to sacrifice probably Japan or maybe Broome, but the way the jockey bookings look, possibly Japan to get Bolshoi Ballet a run into the Breeders' Cup turf, or at least that's what he was suggesting. But he's, he can push this right to the wire in case there's a, another scratch in, in a full race. I'm going to be flippant about it and say, does it really matter? Um, are either of them good enough to win? But let's be serious about it for a moment. Japan is probably the more consistent overall, the older horse, um, but he was quite well beaten um, in a turf classic at Belmont last time. Whereas Bolshoi Bali is the younger horse, has at least won the Belmont Derby, but last time he finished behind Yibir in the Jockey Club Derby Invitational Stakes at, at Belmont. Uh, you know, I just uh, personally, I will be looking elsewhere, but clearly. These uh, little details, these politics are absolutely fascinating for people in the run-up to the big event. Uh, yeah, and we saw it with Order of Australia, didn't we, last year? Who, I mean, I, I will confess that as I, as I was preparing to, to go on air, it had almost escaped my notice that he'd even got in because it, <laughs> it was so last minute and there was a jockey change. What, what's that? Who's riding it? Oh, and it's won the Breeders' Cup mile. Sort of stuff happens now that didn't used to happen in the old days. Yes, yes. And uh, you, you'll know better than me, but weren't there some extraordinary results at this meeting last time, when the last time it was held at Delmar? Well, yes and no. Uh, yes, the, it was not a good meeting for favoured horses, particularly on the dirt, funnily enough, until Gunrunner just wired them in, in a Breeders' Cup Classic, which was like a, a fairground ride, but he was easily the best horse. A lot of the heavy favourites in the, in the dirt races got turned over. The turf races... There were some mild surprises. I mean, you could have found Wahida quite easily. Talismanic turned over Highland Reel, who wasn't really suited by the track. Mendelssohn was good enough to win the juvenile. He was maybe a bit lucky. Massar got lots of trouble in running. But the interesting thing is a lot of the Europeans, for all the talk about, oh, it's such a tight turf track and you know, the Europeans will hate it, there were still, still three European winners at the, at the last Delmar meeting. But as you, as you rightly point out, the, um, the, the, the element of, not chaos factor, but the, the element of unpredictability was perhaps a little more intense than it might be at other North American tracks. And you're uh, suggesting to me that you quite like a horse that's on an on a upward trajectory coming into this, which so it's not necessarily the horse who's already established themselves at a high level in some of the main races, maybe during the course of the season, but one that is very much on the up right now. I think so. I think obviously you've had sort of standout European horses over the years, and you you you'd probably say, wouldn't you, Tanawa is a standout horse on on what she's done the last twice, but I'm not sure she's got sort of legendary status. Coming into coming into the fixture, and, I agree. And until so last year, she had a sort of perfect upwardly mobile profile. This year, Dermot Welder told us on this podcast he had the screws properly tight for the arc, where she had a really hard race. So, do you want to back her off the back of that when she's in stall thirteen of fourteen round a tight track? I, not at, not at those odds. 
she has starting issues, doesn't she? I mean, she's not going to be bright out of the gates. Um, you can have a look at a horse like Tiona. I know you mentioned this fully to me of, of Roger Varian's. And she is very much fitting your um, mm. criteria of upward trajectory. Um, returning from a break after her disappointing run in the Oaks, winning enlisted level at Lingfield, and then heading off to Longchamp and winning at Group 1 level in the Vermeyen, taking the scalp of Snowfall. Um, she looks, I mean, she, the, the downside for her is she's quite um, a fresh, free-going horse, isn't she? And in the early part of the season, you'd be doubting that she would be there together mentally for such a task as this. But the fact that she's gone over to Longchamp and put up a career best performance would give you encouragement for it. So she'd fit your profile, wouldn't she? Well, exactly. Exactly that. And, and I, I've been quite sweet on her. John White, who does the, the morning line here at, at, at Del Mar, it, it, he didn't miss it. He put her in at six to one, even though she had a, a outermost post position as well so so I, i'm sort of worried that too many people have spotted it now because i thought oh, just she'll be she'll be a good price on the day it's she, a wise guy. Well she wise is a bit guy. she is a bit of a wise guy horse but i'm happy to play the part here i think um and it's it, that was the other point are they running her in the right race could they have run her in the phillies race which is only a furlong shy of this well it's it's easier competition for sure um although only marginally perhaps i, I think roger varian just thinks she's that good that mm. why not have a go at four million dollars rather than a couple? Mm. Yeah, well, it's it's a it's a move of confidence, isn't it? It can only be interpreted that way. As for the Phillies race, I mean, we're talking about Aidan O'Brien. Um, has has love now been sort of ironically forgotten, having been talked up last year and then not run? Yeah, I think so, um, and I think that's because she has underwhelmed all season. Uh, you know, from a high base, I, I'm not suggesting that she hasn't uh, registered a high level of form all season. Nonetheless, it's not as good as it was last season when she won the Oaks and the Yorkshire Oaks. And she hasn't built on that at all. I mean, the best she, she got to it arguably was the third in the King George. Um, she ran second last time um, in the Blandford, uh, which is at group two level and got beaten narrowly. Um, she just doesn't look the same horse. She doesn't, she seems to, to lack the verve. Now, will going over to America, um, improver will will there be something about the american conditions that means that she runs better maybe and we saw the, the sort of charlie appleby sextet around yesterday he's only got three chances of winning because he's got two in each of the races he's he's running in were there any was there any one of his horses that you thought oh yeah i, I think that's a that's going to enhance his already ridiculously good north american strike rate i was really struck when i spoke to him on new markets last day of its flat season last saturday of how confident he was about space blues um, now, you know, this is pretty obvious, obviously, because this horse has um, put up a, a career best performance last time when its last two starts was particularly authoritative in the Foray Group 1 at Longchamp last time. Prior to that, had done really well to win the City of York. You know, he is a, a horse that should be suited by this task. He's at the top of his game and Charlie just seemed to be really, really confident. And I think that his second string, inverted commas, in that race, Master of the Seas, although he's a bit tricky... And, you know, he may or may not take to America and the whole conditions of training and how you train on the track and the whole hullabaloo of the race day. And Charlie admitted this himself. Nonetheless, this is a horse of quite a large amount of talent. And uh, running him last time uh, was part of the strategy when he got quite comfortably brushed aside by Baid in the QE2. Charlie was saying that he really wanted to run him there just to get the freshness out, to get him better for America so I think that he's got a really strong chance with Space Blues but the Master of the Seas is by, by no means a forlorn hope 
And more Breeders' Cup news, of course, over the next three days from here at Del Mar. Back in the UK, it's Safer Gambling Week. Lydia, I know you wanted a word on that and the responsibility of the sport, which we have touched on before, but it's certainly worth underlining again. Yes, well, um, I would argue that safer and fairer gambling are not distinct issues. It was something that I tweeted about yesterday in, in terms of uh, what, that, what that looks like. Uh, I'm glad that the the gambling industry has moved away from the term responsible gambling and problem gambler. I'd like them to move away from that as well, more towards safer gambling, because that recognises that they, the gambling industry, have some responsibility uh, towards their customers. And, you know, it is there is no point in uh, shifting onto people with a gambling disorder, which is a psychiatric condition, all the responsibility for sorting out their gambling. The, the gambling industry has a responsibility here. And I would also argue that its commercial partners have a responsibility, and that means horse racing. And from horse racing's point of view, that's to make sure that its product does not look like the more unsafe elements of gambling, which are speed of, the, the, the speed of replay and a lack of time to respond. So that would be a crammed fixture list. I've argued that before. But also, more specifically, something else I've argued before, when it goes into commercial partnerships with bookmakers, when it it has them as sponsors, it should be curious about how those bookmakers conduct themselves towards their customers and particularly, uh, make no bones about this, their racing customers. And are they promoting safe gambling? Are they promoting fair gambling? Are their racing customers able to strike a bet? And I think that uh, the racing industry should be um, interested in that and they should be holding their commercial partners to higher, higher account. Lydia, for the moment, thanks. We're jumping here, there and everywhere on this podcast. But that is the nature of the beast at the moment. And that is the experience that is being felt by J.A. McGrath as he takes us, I think, to Hong Kong this time. I don't know about you, but my head's spinning with the amount of high-quality racing we've had in the past few days. The jump season is taking off. The racing was unbelievably good last weekend. Then came the Melbourne Cup, and of course we're all preparing to take the plunge again, if not in the surf, then certainly on the turf and the dirt at Del Mar. But as ever, Hong Kong on a Wednesday is there to provide a little international balance. And it's a good eight-race car they're staging in Happy Valley this Wednesday. And some interesting runners. And arguably the most interesting is a horse called Zabrowski, who in my opinion is uh, the one to beat in the feature race, the American Club Challenge Cup. Zabrowski's an Aussie import who arrived in Hong Kong with some pretty impressive credentials. In his time with Team Hawks in Sydney, he finished second in an Australian derby and he was also runner-up in the Herbert Power Stakes, one of the key prep races for the Caulfield Cup in Melbourne. He landed in Hong Kong having already raced as a four-year-old, which is unusual in itself. They usually like to fly them in at three. And it's clear that he has now settled in and is fully acclimatised. His run at Cha Tin last start was very promising. He led everywhere bar the last stride in a nine furlong handicap there, only being caught late by Celestial Power. It's the same trip, but at the valley this time, and I think it will suit him. He's got another natural front runner in the field, all for St Paul's. So Vincent Ho may like to take a sit in behind, and this horse has got the class to win this. So race five, number six, Zabrowski, take him in a tote swinger with number four, Savaquin, who's Joe Moreira's mount. Speaking of the magic man, he's back all guns blazing after his suspension, and there's one in particular of his that I like. Race eight, number eight, like that, who should be coupled with number two, Carol Street, 
a promising sprinter who almost fell. He was so badly hampered in a recent race down the straight five at Chartin. So he's worth another chance. Oh, by the way, in keeping with the international theme of the week, the Hong Kong Jockey Club bet on the Melbourne Cup on Tuesday and the winner, very elegant, paid 20 to 1 there on the tote. I'll have more on the Hong Kong beat next week. Jay McGrath there. Well, you didn't quite get 20 to 1 anywhere about the winner of yesterday's Halden Gold Cup at Exeter. 9 to 2, but still a, a minor surprise as Eldorado Allen for Colin and Joe Tizard and Brendan Powell upset the highly touted and much vaunted Hitman. Uh, Lydia was watching. What did you think of it? I thought it was a really good Holden Gold Cup. I very much enjoyed watching it. It looked like tough conditions in the closing stages. I was impressed by Eldorado Allen's um, a- application, the way he stuck to his task, because he looked in trouble turning for home. He looked in trouble several times in the straight. He certainly looked in trouble when Hitman jumped the last so well, but he was switched around and he wore down Hitman near the line. Now, Paul Nichols is the trainer of Hitman, said that he appeared to idle in the closing stages. Um, certainly, I would be more inclined to give the plaudits to the, the guts and application of Eldorado Allen. You'd think that he's going to need stepping up to, to two and a half miles, but this was a comprehensive turning around of the form on two items of form of last season with Hitman, who'd finished in front of him, behind all mankind in the Henry VIII at Sandown, and closer to Protectorat than him at Aintree at the back end of the season as well. So this really does bode well for Eldorado Malan's season. And I kept thinking, uh, Shishkin, what would he do to this lot? Blow them away. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit, I don't want to be, I don't want to be sort of disrespectful, but the, the sort of tiers of, of jump racing seem to be much more clearly um, delineated now, don't they? The, the, the sort of elite horses seem to be so far removed from the rest. Well, over here, certainly, I think that's the case, um, in that we've got a handful yeah. that's to be able to compete with the best of the Irish at, at the end of last season in all the main events. And therefore, there is quite a distinction between that handful and the rest, who are all very good horses, and you would you know, hack off your right arm to own or train in many cases. So, you know, it's, you know, it's a lovely problem to have, isn't it? But I think Eldorado Allen's future as well does does lie in going up in trip. I think, you know, clearly he is more that kind of horse than the than the quick, silky two-mile chaser that is Shishkin, albeit that Shishkin can probably stay a bit further too. All right. Do you have a tip for me for today? I am very interested in a horse called Diamond Cutter, who's trained by David Menuissier. He ran in the Melrose, uh, ding, 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 ding. Um, And last time out, ran over a mile and a half at Leicester, shaping like he really did need to step up in trip. He looked like he wanted two miles in the Melrose. He definitely shaped like that last time. Now he runs on Wednesday at 2.40 at Nottingham in a two mile handicap, Diamond Cutter in that race. Lydia, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back again tomorrow from California. That was Wednesday, November the 3rd. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.